Hello and welcome to the Everyday Hair Colorist, podcast number six. Today's guest is Amy McNamus. She's better known as Camouflage and Balayage, a Instagram sensation and fascinating story. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm really, really well, and I'm really pleased to be doing this with you today. Thank you so much for spending the time. I know you're busy. Um, We're all busy, Jack, but I'm thrilled you asked me, so I'm really excited to be here. It's cool. I want to start off with um, introducing you a little bit to the, the UK market. There are probably lots of people follow you anyway, because you are Instagram famous, if ever there was one. It's you. <laughs> how, tell us how it all started for you. So there's a huge story there. Um, well, so I've been doing hair for 28 years. Um, when I hit the 25 year mark, I had my salon, but I was crazy busy, crazy booked, but feeling very trapped and uninspired. And I came into work one day and thought, how on earth am I going to do this for another 10 years? I'm so bored. There's nothing inspiring me. And one of the girls who used to work for me, came in one day in the same time period and said, one of my um, client's mothers wants to come to you because you're good with older hair. Oh, my goodness. I know. So I remember thinking like, oh, is that where we're at? I was 43 years old and now I'm just an old lady hairdresser. So that was a big kind of middle finger, so to speak. And um, I kept hearing um, ombre was just becoming a big thing here. We were a little behind the times. And everybody was talking about balayage. And the girls that worked for me at the time were all watching YouTube videos on how to do it. And I just remember thinking, well, I'm the owner of the salon. If anybody should know how to do all this stuff, it's me. And I got trapped into this color cut world, you know, root retouches, gray root retouches, you know, every four to five weeks, everybody was a five in 20 volume. I was just so bored. So I really wanted to learn about balayage. And what the, that same girl had filled her book in about six months. She had just moved back up here from down south using Instagram. So I remember thinking, well, if she can do that on Instagram, maybe I can get balayage clients. So I need to learn about balayage, whatever this crazy word is, if I'm saying it right. And then figure out what it is and start getting a younger clientele. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. I think that's brilliant because I've talked with other guests about how like, if you have no passion for it, it becomes joyless. And then the work itself becomes joyless. And it's what's the point of it? And if we're going to be in a career like this, which is, you know, youth dominated and we we want to be able to produce stuff that feels modern. Absolutely. And it's not an age thing. It's, uh, it's about being in an industry, a beauty industry. Um, that's very cool. So where did you go to learn? Well, there was really no education here. Um, so I went to YouTube. And oh. I, looked up, I looked up balayage every different way I could think of. And my first person that I found was Guy Tang. Right. I had never heard of Guy Tang at that point. I was very much in this little Paul Mitchell world. Um, where we just had Paul Mitchell education and we only went to Paul Mitchell classes and Paul Mitchell shows. So I really was missing out on the outside world of what other, uh, in, not, not industries, but other companies were offering for education. So I was searching endlessly for, um, for balayage education and there just really wasn't any. Um, the stuff that Guy Tang was doing with surface painting 
just hit me to my core. It just spoke to me. And that's what I knew I wanted to do. So I was trying to find every video I could um, and practice, but I didn't really understand the whys. So I was making just a ton of mistakes. But when I watched the girls that worked for me do it, they were just doing like t- painting tiny little pinstripes on everybody's hair. Right. And so they saw me painting and they were looking at me like, what on earth is she doing? Like, she's so stupid. <laughs> so I, but I knew if guy, if it was good enough for Guy Tang, then it was good enough for me. So, and I just really, I just was so passionate about not being terrible at it. So it became this like obsession. It just, it just reignited the fire inside of me after 25 years of being, an average hairdresser at best, I wanted to be really good. And I didn't want to just be good. I wanted to be great. And I wanted to understand everything I could about it. So it just started on this fuel to fill my spirit with stuff that I could create with my own two hands and a paintbrush. That's brilliant, isn't it? Because I don't know whether the audience knows, but you're in, you're in Massachusetts, aren't you? I am. And it's not a big city that you're in. Uh, no, we are in a very small town. Um, the name of it is called Fitchburg. And it's it back in 2006, it was voted the number two worst place to live in the country. Oh, my goodness. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> so so it's, it's small. It's quite rural, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't say it's rural. Um, it's rural where I live in uh, southern New Hampshire, which isn't far away. Right. But, but Fitchburg and the adjacent town, Lemonster, are both, um, as bigger towns go around here, there's about forty to 45,000 people per town. So it's not terribly small. Where I live, it's 4,000 people. So that okay. one's pretty rural, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So there wasn't much education going on being offered to you. And you, no. you went out and sought it out yourself. I did. On YouTube, which is always hard, I think, because YouTube doesn't always give you the full story. It gives you little bits of information. And you you figured it all out yourself. I did. It was a lot of trial and error. Yeah. It was really trying to figure out. I would see application photos or quick videos without understanding the why, but I just thought the application looked beautiful. And so I would try that on my next client without understanding what it was going to create. Right. And then when somebody would have you know a really strong, hot root, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Now I see what that does. We're just going to tone that out. (laughs) Well, that's the funny thing is at the time, I didn't even know what a root shadow was. I mean, we just didn't, we just didn't have the education here. We were really, really lacking. So I feel like back three years ago when this started, I feel like I just turned into a brand new hairdresser again. And I had to learn everything all over. Everything that I knew just went right out the window. So it was definitely humbling (laughs) to say the least. You've done a, such an amazing three years. You've been this is all it is three I, years. Yep, three years. It was three years um, in May, I think. And the most fantastic, gorgeous images of of hair and hair painting that you put out there with your two hundred and twenty six thousand followers, two hundred and twenty six thousand people. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. That's, it's somewhere around there. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Thank and the, you. the work always looks so beautiful. I always find myself drawn into your account and I sort of look at the picture I'm like how did that and then I zoom in and I'm like oh and I'm looking (laughs) so I mean I've been a a, a, I discovered you through somebody else who'd said oh this woman does really great painting and I'm like camouflage and balayage what's that how did (laughs) did that name come about because it's kind of fun um well 
So, oh my gosh. Well, when I got on Instagram, I just used my name. Right. And uh, I turned my personal page into my hair page without really knowing anything about Instagram. So I had about 300 or so followers, I think, at the time. That was May of 2016. And... Um, I was trying to understand Instagram. I didn't know what a hashtag was. I didn't know what it was for. I couldn't spell anything. And I saw a post one day on branding. Right. And um, I kept seeing little bits and pieces on branding. There were were names that were really catchy, you know, Pretty Little Ombre, um, you know. Um, I follow her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, Jamie's amazing. She was one of the very first painters that I, that I learned from, yeah. um, outside of YouTube. So, um, when, when I found her account, she just gave so freely. And when I saw how much I was learning from her, when I finally got to that level, I wanted to be able to do that for other people. So I share a lot of information for that reason. Mm. Um, but anyway, getting back to branding. So I kept seeing all these, um, posts on branding and how important it was. And my page was just starting to get discovered a little bit. I was getting featured on smaller pages and and then a few bigger pages. And so by September, my page had hit like 1,200 followers and I changed my name. So where the name comes from, um, I really wanted to build a balayage business. So everybody was just starting on the balayage bandwagon with their names. So I got in right before the craze of it happened. And my husband is a big hunter. Sorry for those people that don't like that. (laughs) I don't hunt, but he does. And, um, so all of my friends who have known me for years before I met him, because I got married very late in my late thirties. So I'm 46 now we've been married for eight years and all of my friends before knew that, you know, I liked, you know, things like David Uriman and driving fancy cars and, you know, um, my, my house always looked like a small little magazine. So now that I'm married to this hunter, every time somebody would go to Home Depot or um, Walmart and they would see camouflage, they would say, oh, I was going to get this thing because it had camouflage on it and I thought of you. So when I was trying to come up with my brand, I thought, well, what do people think about who, who really know me? What do they think about first? And that was just the first thing is it's like it's been this running joke with my friends uh, I saw this deer thing on it the other day and I thought of you. So I went from being what was sort of fancy to this little redneck. <laughs> but very clever branding, I think, really, it, because it really worked. And, you know, it was so funny. I remember my family was encouraging me to not change it, which I think is interesting looking back. But I knew in my gut I had to. I just knew it. Right. Um, so, but they were like, Amy, you're getting, you know, you're getting features everywhere and people are noticing like it's working. Why would you change your name? And I thought, yeah, but nobody remembers my name. So I just remember as soon as I changed my name, I had asked my husband and what he thought of it because it took me about three weeks to sit down and really come up with it. And then when I thought of it, I had read it to him and he said, say that again. (laughs) So I read it to him again, camouflage and balayage. And he said, yeah, that's good. It rhymes. It's good. That's good. It's catchy. It it does rhyme and it is catchy and it certainly does stand out in the market. It, it does. So I changed my name in that September of that same year, 2016, at 1,200 followers maybe. And by the end of December, I hit 30K. My account exploded wow. faster than my knowledge had. So I was getting, you should teach. And I thought, I don't even know what I'm doing. What do you mean I should teach? I'm still learning. So, you know, it was interesting. Everything happened so much faster than I even knew was possible. And I'm right. so grateful. But there was so much stress that went along with it because I didn't feel um, good enough to be able to getting all all these accolades. I I was just really struggling, leaving many days crying because I screwed somebody up. But 
also getting two features on the same day. And I didn't know how to process all of that. Yeah, I think that we, as an industry, we can um, be really hard on ourselves. And one of the things I always talk about with people is that the rules of colour don't change because you're painting on the surface of the hair. You know, it's like, it just doesn't change. If if it needs corrective work, it's not going to happen with balayage. It's going to be corrective work, then balayage. Exactly. So I think that, one of the interesting, other interesting things about balayage is that because it's so new to so many people and because it is more about a feeling and your own eye, that it's quite hard for people to learn, learn it to begin with. But once they get going, they develop their own style. They do. And I think the thing I try to encourage people, especially in my classes, in the beginning, I remember putting my very first video out of me painting and I thought, oh my God, this is it. Everyone's going to know. I don't know what I'm doing. This is it. It was terrifying. Um, And the more I went along and the more accounts I followed and the more friends I got to make, and I saw everybody had their own style and it worked for them. And so when I finally really understood that in my soul, I was able to let go of the fear of not being good enough. And I had a girl, um, I'm actually going to teach a class with her in November. So she's exploded onto Instagram all of a sudden as well. She's out of Syracuse, New York. But she took my class when I was teaching in a little town called Poughkeepsie. And so she came over to me and said, you know, oh, I teach balayage too. And I thought, really? Well, that's interesting. I said, you know, can I see your page? I'd love to see your work. An educator taking my my class was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, what am I doing? So she showed me her page and I saw her work and it was stunning. And I looked straight at her and I said, what are you doing here? You're a way better painter than me. And she said to me, I cannot figure out how you make your blends. And that moment was life-changing for me because that was the first time it, it hit me that it was okay that I had my own lane. I spent so much time trying to be Jamie, trying to be Mallory out of Florida, trying to be Micah out of North Carolina. There was so many balayage artists that I wanted my work to be like that I didn't even realize that I... I was good enough on my own right, and I had paved my own way. And that was a a huge, huge moment for me to let go of that fear of you're not good enough. Yes. The thing about uh, balayage, and it's something I've said again, is it's as unique as your fingerprint. Exactly. And people come to you for your taste level. And if they go with, and I've seen you talk about this, if they go to someone else with your image, that person's not going to be able to create it. They're going to create their version of it. Right. Um, I just love the fact that it's so individual. I do too. It's, I feel it's frustrating for clients because I don't think clients really get it. I do preach a lot on my page about how unique it is and that, you know, pictures are more for inspiration, not duplication. It's really, really hard for clients to find somebody to give them the look that they want because now there's just so many different approaches. And, and often I get clients who are very frustrated because their girl keeps using foils and they just want balayage. Right. And I'm trying to get them to understand that just because someone has their own unique approach doesn't make it wrong. If the work is there and it's good, then you'll get the look that you're looking for, but it's not going to be identical to any picture you give them no, ever. It's not. Yeah. I, we had a, a situation and a client had seen someone else and had seen me first and then saw someone else and it was different. Um, and I'm just like, well, I was only away for a day. And it's like... <laughs> But what how do you dare think, you? But, yeah, how dare you? And it, it was the, the conversation was like, but it's not the same. And I'm like, but it's not the same person. And it's somebody else. And it's a feeling and what it evokes. And I do think it is hard for people to understand because they think that we 
are all just the same and they don't necessarily see the artistry of what we do. No, they don't. And, and you know, most of the time we're interpreting what we hear, what they want, and then we're putting our own artistry on it. And everyone's going to interpret that same sentence differently yes. and see their own vision. So again, I do, I feel terrible for clients these days because I feel like they just see Pinterest images. That's the hair I've always wanted. And it's just so impossible for them to get that it's inspiration and your hair will not look like that because it's jet black yes. and she was blonde to start with. Yes. And I feel like the, the frustration level for clients to understand that it's art. It's not a photocopy. It's art. Yes. <laughs> and it's an individual doing it. Yes. Yes. So I want to take you back a little bit too, because I want to take you back to your story. So it blew up. Your, the whole thing blew up for you. You hit 30, 30K, which is, you know, a massive number, but nothing like where you are now. I mean, where you are now is even bigger. But what happened with the salon? The team didn't move with you, did they? In no, the sense of so, emotionally, they didn't move with you. No, the um, that same group um, left that following year in June. Um, one of the girls that had started originally with me had decided it was time to open her, her own salon and everybody left with her. Right. And, um, it was emotionally crippling and freeing all at the same time. It's taken me a long time to process it. Um, but I really had no vision for my own salon. I just outgrew booth renting where I live. It's all booth renting. Right. And um, for, the, but I, for the UK audience, booth renting, if you don't know, is basically where you can go in and rent, either rent a chair or you yes. can do the whole kind of rent a room, can't you? Right. Yeah. So we don't have suites out here. Right. We right. just have chair rentals. That's it. So it's a um, bunch so of people we, working together who don't necessarily have the same feeling or voice or correct. message. Yeah, they're, they're all independent contractors yeah. within the salon. So it can get a little tricky, um, but they all started off as my employees. And then eventually, because I wasn't a good leader is what I've really come to figure out. Um, and I didn't have a clear cut vision of the salon. I grew up in the industry as a booth renter. Right. So to now own a salon, I don't know how to lead a team. I don't know how to create a payroll. I don't know how to create a culture. So I was just failing miserably. It's no wonder they got frustrated. Um, but I really let them handicap me at the same time because um, I let them run everything and then would complain about it because they weren't doing what I wanted, even right. though I didn't even really know what I wanted. So in essence, the only person that I can really point the finger at is me for my lack of leadership. But, you know, it was a, it was a really big learning curve. So when they all left, um, my account was really growing at that point. And I feel like a few of them were a little bit jealous and didn't like it. And I really just wanted them to be proud of me. Mm. So they would start respecting me and none of it ever happened. So it was humbling. I think that those, those kind of experiences are really humbling, but also I think it's such, such a magnificent story that you'd gone along with all of this and then changed direction. People don't like change anyway, nope. do they? So they've gone nope. off in a, another new direction and here you are just blowing up in Instagram and you set, you set sail on your own, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I have a touch of like OCD. <laughs> so when I'm on a mission, I am on a mission, and right. you really can't stop me. So I was very um, determined to um, to keep going. I just really it meant it meant everything for me. I could feel it in my soul that I needed to keep doing this. I didn't care what they thought. 
they were really in my way. They weren't supporting me. So all the really great stuff started happening um, about five weeks after they left. And I was thrilled because they couldn't take it from me. Right. Nobody can take it from you. Well, they had a way of making me feel bad when something really great would happen. You know, BTC would contact me and um, they wanted to do an article. And so I would come in and I'd be so excited to tell them because, again, I I just wanted them to be proud of me. I wanted them to see, Mm. look what I was doing. I'm your boss, but I'm not a loser anymore. You see what I'm doing? Can you see it? And one of the girls who I thought liked me a little said, oh, yeah, I heard about that. That's, I mean, that's cool. You know, um, I know how important that is to you. Oh, I love the way people, that, that double-edged yeah. sword, sort oh, of yeah. smile and, and was, stick a knife in the side. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, you're t- you too, huh? Okay. So I just started keeping things to myself because there was just no support from anybody. And it was really hard. Um, as soon as I would leave, I'd call my parents and tell them all the great things that, you know, had mm. happened that day. And um, but I couldn't share it with anybody but my clients um, who were really excited and um, and just my family. So it was really challenging. So I think that that is actually quite hysterical considering the amount of support and love and insight you give out freely on Instagram that people could be like that. But jealousy rears its head in many, many ways. Now, Behind the Chair writes an article about you. Congratulations on your latest two one-shot nominations, by the way. Oh, cool and thanks. warm. You know, I'll tell you, this um, this year, when I see the level of work that was um, submitted, I thought I didn't have a prayer. I mean, everybody has leveled up. It was game on this year. And I remember saying <laughs> to one of my girls, if I get it this year that's saying something because I didn't even know how they would choose the work submitted this year was like nothing I've ever seen for this competition. I was really, really honored when they chose me. I I couldn't believe it. I'll be honest. If, if I had looked at all that work, I'm not sure I would have chose me. So I was very, very honored. Um, nice. Brilliant. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So you're going to the show. I am. Um, so I wasn't sure if I was going to, um, my new salon is going to be opening that week, and I thought it would just be too headachey. Um, but Schwarzkopf was so generous and um, messaged me to congratulate me and wanted me to be there. So they're flying me to there, which I thought was amazing. So they've just been so supportive. Brilliant. That's great news. Fingers crossed for you. I've got quite a few Thanks. fingers crossed for people in oh. this one. So <laughs> definitely you. fingers crossed for you too. Thank so let's, you. Go, let's go back to Insta. So love it or hate it. And I, I mean, I love it, but sometimes I struggle with it. Um, as I suppose many people do, how you have a look, how did it, did you know that straight away that you had a look with your, your gram or did it just evolve? How did, how did you go about that? With my pictures or my grammar? Your pictures, first of all. Oh, oh, um, no, that sort of evolved. It was funny because I saw work that I thought was beautiful and I was basically just trying to copy it right. and I was, I was failing. So um, and all of a sudden I started realizing that, well, it's good enough on its own. Why am I trying to pretend I'm somebody else? So at that point, when I started really owning um, my talent and my look, yeah. then, then I was okay with it. But when people would say initially, like, I knew this was your picture before I even saw your name. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, is that terrible? Like, that just means that I'm just a one trick pony. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 that's a good thing. It means you're recognizable. And I yes. was like, oh, because I was so panicked. Like, oh no, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I, I just second guessed myself constantly when, when this was all so new. You know, I'm not big into social media. I, I'm not on Facebook. Um, I got off Facebook three years ago. 
I'm only on, I don't have a personal account on, on Instagram. So I've only turned my personal page into this. So it's my only outlet. Right. And, um, so I, I, I don't understand a lot of it. I've learned to understand Instagram really, really well because it is my only um, source. But yeah, in the beginning, you just question everything you're doing and, and it makes you feel like, you know, how come my work doesn't look like this? Or how come my work doesn't look like that? So artists that I thought were amazing, um, when they started following my page, I would be in puddles like, oh my God, they're following me. Can yeah. you believe it? And I'd be fangirling, as you know. Yes. <laughs> The thing is, though, everyone says that you've got to, and I, I really struggle with it, is to get that that feel so that when somebody immediately looks at your your image, not your page, and they're like, oh, I know who that is. And I think you've nailed that, absolutely nailed it. Well, thank you. I noticed that when um, when I try to veer from it, it doesn't get received well. <laughs> so now I almost wonder if I pigeonholed myself, but you know, I, I love my work, so I'm very proud of what I've done. So I guess if it's not broken, don't fix it yet. <laughs> well, I think you can interject, can't you, into it a little yeah. bit, something different and everything. So taking that picture, how long does that take you to get the to get the right shot? Well, I do everything outside. Yes. Um, so some days it's a big struggle. Our lighting here is very inconsistent. Um, I actually block three spaces in front of my salon with chairs in the parking lot every day so people can't park there. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I run a really good business. We don't answer the phone and you're not allowed to park here. Go away. <laughs> so it's very inviting. Um, so I bring all of my clients outside. I have two spots that I really like. One is a green background and one is just the reflection of the glass. Right. And uh, I usually try to get them in both locations because the hair looks very different. And I remember when I first started building my page, I would drag my clients around everywhere. We had a brick wall out back. And so, cause it would look like a different head in every single photo. And yes. it gave me more content to post when I didn't really have any, when I have any clients. That is a so, great tip. Well yeah, done. I yeah. mean, I only had uh, a couple of my nieces and a few clients who I asked to be models. So when my page started building, people say to me, oh my God, you have so, like your clients are so beautiful. You have so many. And I was like, no, I have six. <laughs> like, I literally have six, but I would beg my nieces to come in regularly, even if they didn't need anything. And I would throw a pastel over the top of it just so I could have something else to post. So right. I kind of started this little pastels over balayage trend that was just more so I could have more content for my page so because I didn't know I can't keep painting or hair's gonna fall off (laughs) that's so clever that really is clever that's brilliant well it was really important to me to build the balayage clientele and it's so funny now because looking back that's the least of what I've done and creating this whole page of Clients who fly to me now. I mean, I was just begging people to let me do their hair, and now I have clients. Most of my clients drive three and four hours, or they get on an airplane to fly to me. I just, it baffles me. No, I think it's fantastic. It speaks to one to your great work, but it also speaks to the also your brilliantness on Instagram, the way in which you've marketed yourself, and that's what it speaks to. It speaks to talent, um, and, you, and you just have to, you know, accept that. Some days it's hard. <laughs> So the other thing that you're a huge advocate of is of the industry and of supporting hairdressers in that. And there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, first of all, deposits. Um, there's a huge thing going on in the UK. Uh, you know, I, I like to take a deposit for first-time clients. 
But there's this huge thing going on about should we, shouldn't we? Where's our worth? What's our value? Um, which is about self-esteem, I, wish, I imagine. Where do you sit with it all? Um, I'm a big advocate for deposits. Um, I overhear... Um, Boy, unless you're working on the famous, we don't get a lot of respect. And mm. it, it it cuts me to my core. It's something I'm very passionate about. And I, without being rude on, on Instagram, when I see it, I try to stand up for it as respectfully um, and powerfully as my words will allow me to without um, disparaging our industry at all. But I, we are the only industry that is not allowed to climb the ladder. Mm. We always have to stay affordable. We're just hairdressers. And let me tell you, Jack, <laughs> that just... Oh, it just hits me so hard after 28 years. I'm not allowed to have value because I'm just a stupid hairdresser. So I, I'm a big believer in deposits. I believe it sets the precedent for a mutual respectful relationship that yep. we're about to grow together. So I encourage deposits um, a lot. I take them for every single new client. I have a very strict set of rules that I send them along with the deposit. And um, if they break the rules, they're done. It's fascinating. So what about new clients? Yes. But what about standing clients already? Do you take a deposit from them? I don't. I'm actually going to start shifting into that, though, once I get into the new place. Um, I've just had a few people recently who've canceled some large appointments with me. Right. um, That didn't really leave me enough time to fill. And um, I just think if you know, I do have enough people that ask me, you know, oh, do you want to deposit for next time? And I stupidly say no. Why, why would I say no to that? But mm. I have been. And I think that's something that I'm going to start changing. So I just think hands down, you get a lot more respect um, from people who are, are looking to commit to the relationship that we are trying to build with each other. You know, I'm, I'm not here for the fun of it. This is my job. I don't do it because it's fun. I do it because I love it, but I still have to pay my mortgage. And I think there's a common misconception that the I'm sorry pays my mortgage. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to try writing that out to my mortgage company and we'll see if they'll accept it as some sort of payment because people, you know, well, it's not fair. I didn't get my hair done. Why should I have to pay you? Well, please tell me then if your boss says to you, you know, Karen, I know you showed up today um, for eight hours, but I'm only going to pay you for, for six of them <clears throat> because my kids were sick. Sorry. How's yes. that taste? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when people ask for discounts and things, and I'm like, well, I don't get a discount yeah. on the mortgage. I don't get a discount no. at the gym. I don't get any discounts in life, you know, unless yeah. I clip a coupon or something, which isn't going to happen. So it's like, no. Um, I think it's industry-wide, it seems to be a much stronger conversation and there's much more force behind us all pushing for something that, um, you know, a nursery would get, a, you know, if you say five minutes late or half an hour, you were half an hour late, you'd have to pay extra. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I think social media is helping give a voice to people that are afraid. Yes. Um, more, the more people, especially when, when people follow you, it's because they identify with you. There's something about your account that they really Either it's your work or they, you know, they respect your rhetoric. Um, but the more of us that keep speaking out about industry standards and respect, yes. I feel like we're starting to see that first shift in the industry. And it's hard over here because salon suites represent, I believe it was 53% of the industry now in the United States is, is salon suites right. and independent contractors. So it's hard to set up your own rules and then stand behind them. It's easy when the salon does it for you, but when you are now the salon, 
how do you how do you enforce all your guidelines and well, not the, be a pushover? Well, the thing is, if you don't, you end up with empty spaces and people cancelling on a, you and, and yeah. struggling at the end of the month because it can add up really quickly. Really quickly, yes. Yeah. And so you're seeing a lot of girls who just had enough. And a lot of guys too. I don't mean to say just girls, but a, a lot of stylists in general are yeah. just, they've had enough with the no-shows. I mean, summer here is brutal for people canceling the last minute and throwing the, I'm sorry, I wanted to stay at the beach one more day. And I just want to reach through my phone and strangle them. <laughs> like, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're staying at the beach. I hope that works out for you, but I'm probably not going to book you again. I'll be honest. <laughs> so leading on, let's talk about consultations. It's a hot topic. Yes. Um, I have a, a strict kind of thing that I want uh, from clients. So I want them to do a bit of homework, to bring in some images, and then they have to come in and have a consult with me. And I go through this whole list of things. How do you approach consultations? It's slightly different. Uh, I would say it's very different. Um, I am stuck in the direct message world on Instagram. So because my clients drive from so far or fly, I am stuck doing things online, right? which can get really tricky. As we know, capturing our work and, and putting an image up that really showcases it and its trueness and sincerity is challenging. So you know when clients are sending you photos, a lot of times what shows up is not what was in the photo. So <laughs> it's very challenging. And um, I've been duped a few times. I mean, not that they tried to do it intentionally, but... When they show up and I'm there, dear Lord, where did this come from? How did I not see this? You know, yes. so I, I want, you know, lots of pictures. I require a two-year hair history. Um, out here we have uh, what we call well water. So yeah. um, we deal a lot with private wells and mineral buildup. Um, I need to know everything about what do you, what do you do to your hair? Um, what kind of challenges do you have? Um, that sort of thing. So I, I need to know everything and then I insist that they send me images of what they're trying to achieve. So it lets me know if I, A, want them as a client, and B, if what they want is doable with what I like to do. So I'm very choosy about who I take. And every so often, someone sneaks through. And I think, well, I'm glad you got your appointment, but this is not the hair I want to do. So this will be your only appointment, and I'm all set. <laughs> I love this if I want to do it. Do you feel that you've got to a position in your life and your career now that you can, you can say no and it's okay? Um, I do. And, and I think I just got to the point where I was so trapped in the previous clientele and they were all really nice people. It, right. You know, it's hard for people to understand that it's not a personal thing, but I didn't want to stay there all day long and tap out gray roots. It was so uninspiring and boring. And when all of this started to transition into this new career for me um, and people would start messaging me. I, I only wanted to balayage, so I would only take balayage clients at first. And then eventually I kept um, slowly letting go of my previous clients because it was hard for me to get them in every four to five weeks for their great retouch-up. So I felt like, um, well, the girls that are still building need those clients, so I started shifting them over into their chair. So most of my previous clients do not like me anymore. Um, but I had to stay true to what I really wanted to do and what made me happy behind the chair. So, um, so yeah, I got very choosy. Um, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I got very choosy. I wanted to do work that made me happy and that when I finished it, it felt like a creation and I felt proud of it and not that I, for me, um, foiling is mind numbing. I just don't like it. Um, it's unfortunate that I don't like it, but 
I actually think I need to get better at it. So I've signed up for some classes that hopefully will teach me different techniques that I won't find it so mind-numbing. I may still be like, forget it, I'm out. (laughs) But I I feel like the people that that I'm going to go see, if they don't inspire me to want to foil, nobody will. And that's sort of the way that I look at it. I used to have a hashtag that's uh, hashtag foils are dead. But, uh, yeah. but you know, foils have their place too. Um, they do. Totally have their place in it. And I think that as long as it isn't just that sea of perfectly placed foil, then I'm game, game on. Yeah. But it has to, again, I have to have joy. Well, that's just it. And I found, um, you know, doing an entire head of baby lights for four hours. Mind numbing. Yes, it's terrible. So I've been doing some fusion techniques where now I don't mind it because I only have to do a little bit of it and then I can add balayage into yes. it. So I've been I've been opening myself up and developing a couple of techniques that hopefully I'll be ready to share um, in my classes soon. But I do feel like there's a place for it. But for me, it's not uh, an entire head of baby lights on somebody with level one hair who wants to be a level 10 when they're done with a root shadow. That is just or, not my work. Or even worse, Amy, they want to be a level 22 Yes. And they're the a level one. The next is the floor, sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about education. Um, I know that you run some very successful classes indeed because people want, want to know what the queen of Balayage is doing. Oh. <laughs> um, how, how did education, how's it evolved for you? Because it's very different to doing a client, isn't it? It's a whole different mindset. Mm. And the funniest thing is, is when you first start teaching is you don't know what you know until people start asking you questions. You have more ahas of what was in your brain that you didn't even know. So I do feel like it builds a lot more confidence in you um, when you start to really realize what you have to offer. So each class sort of helps peel back a layer of who you are as an educator. So I would say the first year and a half, I really would like to give all of those students um, a redo on my class because I feel like I'm a much better educator. (laughs) But I've turned into a really good educator and I didn't have the confidence in the beginning. I just didn't want to miss the boat. I got pushed into teaching. And what I've learned is you can pretty much bully me into doing anything if you give me all the right words. Well, I'm going to be bullying you into coming over here and holding a masterclass. You don't even have to bully me. I am there. I'm dying to do a class with you. I think that'd be amazing. We'd have so much fun. No, I'm going to sit and watch you. Oh, okay. Well, I can do that too. I'm going to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. I think... um, Education, of course, is paramount to our industry. And I think that Instagram changed education. It used to always be the product companies delivering their latest products and it'd be specific to that and, you know, some strange pattern that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, Or I'd go to a hair show and I'd see, you know, neon hair and pyrogenics and dancing girls and I'd be like, huh? Whereas (laughs) I've always said I'm not, really a stage show person I am a classroom educator I love being in a classroom with you know 20 people who are really interested in learning what I can offer them and but it was Instagram that had all these disruptors and you're one of them who just said no actually this is what I do I do this I do that and it's fascinating Well, I think it's changed the dynamic. And I think that's one of the reasons that when you saw all the submissions for BTC this year is everybody's gotten so good. Mm. There are so many artists that are willing to teach their technique and people are so receptive to it that it's helping the industry elevate. 
And now we have to get the mindset of these stylists to start, you know, establishing ground rules and taking deposits. So I feel like it's coming, it's evolving, and it's really important for our industry for sure. Um, but I think private education has hands down changed the industry. When you go to these shows now, all they have on there is is Instagram artists because they're trying to attract people to their product lines. So even companies recognize it's different now. Yes. It's not all about, you know, doing the craziest hair that we can't do and repeat when we get to the salon anymore. And when we used to go to shows and it was inspiring, but you didn't get a lot of education out of it, you felt re-energized, but you didn't have a lot of content that you could take back and actually put into action. And that's really changed for people now when they go to these big shows is having real hairdressers on stage and not stage performers that they're getting really good education. They're getting good tips and tricks that they can take immediately back and start putting into use. I mean, do you remember the old saying, if you don't use it in two weeks, you lose it. I mean, that was, that was every single show I ever went to because most of it was nonsense. You know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to cut a bang on somebody that goes high to low. That's just not my clientele. You know, everyone's going to say like, what did your hairdresser do? Was she drunk when she cut your hair like that? (laughs) That's brilliant. And it's true as well. I think that you, you also mentioned about the brands using, um, Instagram stars uh, to help promote them. But I think that what's happened is that, and I think it's probably Mary behind the chair, really, who changed that. She sort of said that, um, she sort of said that hairdressers will look at a computer and it turned out to be a phone. Um, but it was showcasing work that's salon successful and salon friendly. I mean, there's avant-garde in there too. But I, sure. I think that Instagram just leveled the playing field. And it, you didn't have to spend a fortune with a product company to do well on Instagram or to, for a product company to engage with you. It was all about your work. And, it just, right. and that's what's really fair and honest about it, I think. Well, that's one of the things that I like is it really has leveled the playing field. Not only does it not matter where you live anymore, no. you don't you don't need to be in L.A. now to do beautiful hair um, and get the clientele that you've always wanted. If you want to be a precision cutter, you can do that in the middle of Kansas. If you learn how to use your social media, people will come to you. Yes. So it's really leveled the playing field. I feel like it's made it important on pricing um, that know your worth. You know, know your worth. Why would I charge Fitchburg prices when none of my clients come from here? Well, exactly. You charge, and this is where we're going to segue in to pricing. (laughs) Pricing. Very very contentious, especially on Instagram. It seems to be people kind of say, how can you charge that much? Um, Or they personally wouldn't pay that much to have that done. And somehow you're wrong to say something. So I know that you don't talk about your price prices, but pricing. Yeah. So I have a lot to say about pricing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's Pull just up one of chair. those things that if you, if you're good and the demand for you is there, why aren't you going up? Why would you stay put? It's it. If your boss came to you and said, Jack, I want to give you a $50 an hour raise. You wouldn't say no. So if you're in demand, there's your raise waiting for you. All those new clients go up on your existing clients and start taking the new ones. It makes room for them at a higher rate. And, you know, as far as me talking about my own pricing on Instagram, the level of disgust and hate that comes out of people when we talk about prices is why I avoid, I avoid it. Yeah. I think it's really important, but I don't have the stomach for it. Uh, the, the hateful comments, you know, honestly, 
it's nobody's business what I charge my clients. My clients and I have discussed it ahead of time. Um, but I know my value and I know, I know what I bring to the table. And I'm okay if you don't want to sit in my chair. There is another one. My, my dad always has the best sayings. And his, his favorite is, there's an ass for every seat. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> I just don't look at it as a potential loss. I look at it as finding the right asses to sit in my seat. Those people who value what I do, who want my expertise are going to be willing to pay for it. And those that aren't, that's okay. Go get your group on someplace else because we don't do that here. Oh, and I'm, I'm okay with that. And a lot of hairdressers are nervous every time they go up in their prices and someone turns them down. And then like, oh no, see, I went too high. I knew it. I went too high. No, 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 no. Out of every 10 people that message me, there's only one or two that aren't like, oh, Maybe I'll go someplace else that's cheaper. You'll always find cheaper, I promise you. But I know my value. I love it. I, you know, that happens to me in London. I mean, I'm expensive for London. And, you know, people come in and if they're, if they're price sensitive, I'm always, you know, I'm like, I'm not offended if you can't afford it. Um, and I don't say it like that, but I'm not offended. I can recommend you some co-workers who can talk to you and, and all of that. But I'm not going to shift on it. I just feel like I know my value. Exactly. And I think once hairdressers across the world start investing in their education, I mean, I get a lot of people that, you know, I can't afford classes. And, and my attitude is you can't afford to not do classes. You know, it's going to get your, your level of expertise up there so you can make a great living. And I think that's sort of um, the thing that, that drives me the craziest getting back to, you know, what we earn and what we make is it's like we have some nerve wanting to make a great living. Why can't we make a great living? We're professionals just like everybody else. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're establishing your prices, you know, the misconception is staying competitive with the salon down the street. Well, that salon down the street isn't my market. I don't care about them. They're not my competition. There is nobody in this area that is my competition. And again, that's not said with an ego. It's just that my market isn't Fitchburg. My market is Boston, is Providence, is New York City, you know, is LA because they fly out to me, is Arizona. So I run my page to build the people um, that I want to sit in my chair that are willing to go to the length um, to get their hair done by me. And that's, you know, somebody had said something really stupid one time, like I had put up a, a post about does demographic matter anymore? And somebody thought I was just ridiculous for saying it. Oh, I'd love to see you get those prices in Kansas City. And I said to her, you mean to tell me if Guy Tang moved to Kansas City tomorrow, he would lower his prices? Right. He just wouldn't. So he knows his value. And there's a lot of hairdressers that absolutely know their value. And there's a lot that don't. And my hope is that the ones that don't will start to see it. Once they invest in themselves, they will start seeing their value. The education thing, it makes me laugh because, you know, somebody will go out and spend $100 on a dress or, you know, $200 on a pair of sneakers quite easily, but yep. doesn't see the value in spending £500 or $500 on a, a class. And it's the class that you can then take back with you and you can mix it into your day and take from it what you want and struggle with bits of it, whatever it takes. But you can therefore make more money from it, whereas the pair of sneakers, you throw them out in a year's time. Exactly. And, you know, the dress probably five washes and it's fallen apart. But that's where you see where people's focus is. Yes. You know, you know, if it's a job for you, then the class is too expensive. If it's a career for you, yeah. then you'll do anything to get in that class. Even if that means you have to save for it and not take it now, but take it three months from now 
then you'll figure out a way to take it. So it just depends where your drive is, you yeah. know. And let's sure. hope there's more people that, and our industry goes more towards those that want to invest in themselves and invest in their careers um, and just help raise the standards more and more and more. You know, my biggest goal at this point is to have the industry be better than when I came in. Yeah. You know, I, I want to see hairdressers make a great living. There's no reason why the only people that get to make a great living are the ones that live in Beverly Hills. You know, it's just, it, it just shouldn't be a thing anymore. And the people that don't want to view this as a career. And I mean, somebody wrote a comment on one of my posts on pricing and said, well, you know, poor people need their hair done too. <laughs> I thought, okay, but that's not really my concern is what people can afford. My concern is w- what I want to be able to afford and I want to be able to keep my house. So if I do every poor person's hair for no money, I'm going to lose my home. So well, I guess it's not- all your perspective. <laughs> we're not charities. Exactly. But that's what a lot of people, they don't view this as a career for them. And those are the people that, you know, hopefully, I mean, there's, there's a different level, I guess, in every single market. So that level is never going to go away. You're always going to have those people that devalue who they are and what they do because they don't invest in themselves. It's been so much fun talking with you today. I really feel like we need to do another episode. But before we go, <laughs> I know there's going to be another episode anyway. Oh, there? I know. Yeah. You know, I love you. I'll sit with you anytime. <laughs> Fanning, you and I, this mad little moment where I, I said, oh, I'm such a fanboy. And we started this little bit of positivity on social media. How, how's, I've had some great reactions about it. Yeah, I started... Um, featuring about probably three or four different hairdressers every day in my stories. Um, People that I've looked up to, people that I've just found because I'm trying to sprinkle it everywhere. Yes. Um, And so some people have messaged me crying because they can't believe I like their work and that I would do that for them. And some people um, have reposted and started spreading the, the fanning hashtag as well. So I love it. Um, I want to see more of it. I just think Instagram, as great as it is, it can feel daunting and it can make you feel like you're, you're not doing anything that people appreciate. So having that little add a girl, the people that I've done so far have said, you have no idea this came at the perfect time. Yes. Yeah. So I love what it's doing. So I have my four picked out for today that I'll be posting when we hang up. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're on it. Yeah, I I, I prepare it the night before. I told you I have a little OCD, so I'm always, <laughs> I'm always on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to spend the time with us today. Um, I want to wish you all the best for BTC, and I want to wish you great success in your new salon, and I can't wait to start seeing some pictures of it. So I've seen a little bit of wood. Really yes. nice. <laughs> Yes, it'll be very rustic, a little bit more like me, a little woodsy, um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the fresh start in a new space and see hopefully what I can create. So I'm excited. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you you for having me. Pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcast from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. Music.